I'm reminded this morning of the words the psalmist said. He said he was in a horrible pit. And it was the Lord who reached down into the pit where he was and took him out of the miry clay and set his feet upon a rock and established his going. Folks, how many of you know this morning, Jesus is the one who reached down into the pit, found me where I was, took me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. And for that, he's worthy of a hallelujah. Can you say amen? He's worthy of our praise. I want to thank you this morning for taking advantage of the opportunity of bringing praise, honor, and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing it truly is. Everybody take your Bibles, please, and turn with me over to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 3, is what we'll look at, verse number 17. 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, and verse number 17. Watch what it says. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, watch what it tells us, there is liberty. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for all of your many blessings. I'm thankful this morning that you've given me a message, Lord, that's not just for these people, Lord, but it was for me. And I want to thank you for that. Lord, I'm thankful that your word is truth and still changing lives. I want to thank you this morning, Lord, that you've brought us all together here. And it's not by accident, Lord, that any of us are here. But we know this morning it is by your providence, your sovereign will, that you've brought us under the preaching and teaching of your word. And Lord, we're asking right now that you would speak directly to hearts exactly what we stand in need of. Lord, I'm asking that you move me out of the way and you use me. I'm asking that you place me behind the cross. And Lord, that these people would not just hear what I have to say, but they would hear what you're saying. Lord, I'm praying that you would use me as your mouthpiece. Again, Lord, I am nothing. I can do nothing. But Lord, I realize through you, all things are possible. And we're asking today you would comfort hearts where hearts need comforting. And you would convict hearts where hearts need convicting. Lord, you know what we need better than we'll ever know what we need. You made us. You formed us. You created us. And Lord, you know exactly what is going on in the hearts and lives of every person listening this morning. So Lord, we ask you to do your work. Again, Lord, we pray that your church would be edified, that Satan would be horrified. And Lord, above everything else, we're asking that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I heard something Dr. Ben Carson said just a few years ago, and it stuck with me ever since he said it. He said this, he said, we have already won the lottery just by being born in this great nation. If you believe that this morning, say amen. Anyone who's ever spent time outside of this country and other places, you certainly realize that we truly have won the lottery. We are blessed beyond measure to be in a country where we are afforded the freedoms that we have. It's in this country that we are guaranteed by the rule of law certain unalienable rights that are given to us by our Creator. We talked last week about that. The, the Constitution, listen, protects our rights as American citizens. And the Declaration of Independence does just that. It declares those rights. And it says that we are endowed by our Creator 
with certain inalienable rights by which these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm so very thankful that we enjoy those freedoms. But now, last week when we looked at life, we found out to truly experience eternal life, which is abundant life, that you've got to know the creator of life. There's a difference in merely existing physically and truly living and knowing the God who created you. Knowing the God who's done for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so this morning, I don't want you to merely exist. I really want you to live. And the only way you can truly experience life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Bible says he is the way, he is the truth, and he is what? The life. The life. Well, this morning, I'm going to move on from that. And we're going to talk about liberty and what that means for us. What that means uh, when, when we're actually uh, living in the freedom that God makes available to us uh, by his power. Now, I want to make this statement to you, going back to what, where we begin. The constitution by which we are governed gives you the right to do what you want to do. Amen? I mean, we, we have the right afforded to us in the Constitution of assembling like we're assembling this morning and worshiping, the, worshiping our God. We have that right afforded to us and several other rights. It gives us the right to do what we want to do, but it does not give us the right to do or the power to do what we ought to do. Can you say amen? And that's really what I want you to want to talk to you about this morning. See, this morning, for us to do what we ought to do, it takes more than just a political document. It takes more than just uh, what we sometimes look to in the physical, but it takes a supernatural work of God himself. Then that begs the question, what is it that we ought to do? What is it that we should be doing? What is truly our purpose? Why has God created us and put us on this planet? For what purpose does he have us here? Well, I'll tell you this. What we ought to do is live according to the standard of the word of God. Now, I say that, and and, and please don't misunderstand me. We ought to take God's word and apply it to our lives. And what will that look like? Well, that's going to look like Jesus because what Jesus did while he was here is fulfill God's standard perfectly. See, the word of God is lived out in the life of Christ. Amen. And so if we really want to do what we ought to do, then we, we ought to live like Jesus, what we're supposed to do, what our purpose is to be. And, and, and we find that, uh, and, and, and we do that for the simple reason that he is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. A lot of people say, well, Brother Israel, uh, listen, that, that Bible stuff, I tell you what, I, I just don't believe it to be true. I, that's just not for me. Let me tell you something. Whether or not you choose to believe it has absolutely no bearing on whether or not it's truth. You can choose to believe it or reject it, but you will do so at your own demise and you then must suffer the consequences of your actions. Consequences that will affect you today and consequences that will certainly affect you in eternity. It matters not whether you believe it. Does it change the fact that it's true? 
It's true because He said it. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son. Now let me say something to you. Why do I believe He's the Son of God? Why do I believe He is God the Son? Well, He did things that only God could do. And we have eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus as he was fulfilling God's standard. We see on the pages of Scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John how that Jesus had power over demonic forces. He would speak to people who had been demon-possessed and the demons would come out crying for fear. Praise Jesus, that's my Jesus. And that's your Jesus if you're a child of God. I want you to know this morning, I respect Satan and his power, but I do not fear Satan and his power, for greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. These demons would crumb out of these people crying out in fear because they came in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that tell me? That tells me that he has complete authority over all spiritual forces. We see on the pages of Scripture how that Jesus would heal blinded eyes and cause deaf ears to be unstopped and they were able to hear. And he raised up people from the dead. I've told you before, Jesus never went to a funeral that he didn't mess up. He goes to the tomb of Lazarus and calls him forth from the grave after he had already been dead three days, four days. It's amazing. What the Lord did. And he did it because he was God incarnate in the flesh. He had power over all spiritual forces, but he also had power over all physical forces. We see on the pages of Scripture how that Jesus would speak to the storm and the storm had to cease. We see how Jesus spoke to the fig tree and it withered. How was that possible? Because he has all authority over all things spiritual and over all things physical. He has authority and power over all creation. Why? Because he is the son of God and he is God the son. Let me give you the big one. And then he died on a cross. The Bible says for my sin and for your sin and they put him in a tomb, but he could not stay there. The tomb could not hold him. And he rose again the third day. And there is mountains of evidence that you can look to in your Bible and in extra biblical sources other than your Bible that prove Jesus did these things. Well, if he can overcome the grave, he must be God. And if he's God, his standard is what matters. The standard that we see exemplified throughout his life. He said some things and he did some things. Let me give you two big ones that he said. He said a lot of things and we don't have time to go through all of them, but I want to give you two of the really big ones. Matthew chapter number 22, verses 37 through 39. There were some people that were trying to trip the Lord up. They were trying to cause him to falter in his statement. And they were asking him what the two greatest commandments, or what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus makes it really plain to them and to us. Matthew 22, verse 37, he said, the first thing you need to do, you can, you can wind all the law up in, in these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, that's what I, I, I tell you you need to do. Love God and love your neighbor. 
And then he says something else. We, we find this in the book of Luke chapter 6 and verse number 31. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, if Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is God the Son, and he exemplifies the law of God being lived out, listen, and he spoke these things, then we ought to do what he said. But let me ask you something. Is it hard for you to sometimes do that? Is it? I'll go as far as to say this. Not only is it hard for you to do that, Simply operating with human nature, the sinful nature. Not only is it hard for you to do that, it's impossible for you to do that. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's just take one of them. When it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How many of you know, if we could do that, if we'd actually do that, then, then, Brother Scotty, you wouldn't have to go to work tomorrow. Brother Scotty is a, is, is a part of a Hamilton Police Department. But if we would all just uh, take advantage of, of the truth that Jesus gives, where it says, do unto others, you'd have them do unto you, you, brother, you'd be out of work. How would that change things? Wouldn't it make it better? <laughs> However, operating only by human nature, men cannot... And will not do that. See, if we're operating in human nature, we will not do what we would have, uh, we would not do unto others what we'd have others do unto us. We would do unto others like they do unto us. I had somebody tell me just the other day, she, he said this, he said, I, I just treat people like a mirror. He said, if, if they show me respect, I'll show them respect. If they treat me nice, I'll treat them nice. If they speak to me well, then I'll speak to them well. Jesus spoke about that. He said, you know what? If you only love people that love you back, that, that's nothing special. That's what the heathens do. See, that's just operating in human nature, but that ain't what God's called us to. He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, not like they do unto you. Let me tell you what else we'll do. If we're simply operating in human nature, in the sinful nature that we're all born with in Adam like we talked about last week, if that's all we operate in, we will not do unto others as we would have them do unto us, but we will do unto others before they do unto us. I heard a story one time about a man who got bit by a rabid dog. And he goes to the doctor's office and the doctor checks him for rabies and sure enough, he has it. And the doctor says to him, he says, listen, you're going to have to take these series of shots and, and we'll come back in and give them to you and try to get you cleared up. But you do have rabies. And the man got a concerned look on his face and he said, doctor, do you have a pen and paper? And the doctor said, yeah, sure. So he handed the man the pen and paper and he starts writing down. And the doctor looked at him and said, sir, listen, there is a cure for rabies. There's no need for you to write down your last will and testament. He said, oh, no, I know you got a cure for rabies. I'm not writing down my last will and testament. I'm writing down my list of people I'm going to bite. <laughs> That's human nature. That is the sinful nature. That's us doing unto others before they do unto us. And if all we operate in is the sinful human nature that was given to us in Adam, listen to me, none of us will ever, ever, ever do what we ought to do. 
even though we have the freedom in this country to do what we want to do. See, what has to happen, our wants and desires have to change. Are you getting me? Has to. I talked to you about last week how that when you're born again in the family of God, you get a new nature. Can you say amen? And with that new nature comes a new desire. And with that new desire becomes new direction, which turns into a new destiny. And God begins making you into an image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to continue that thought this morning. See, it is by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, that we are able to do what we ought to do. Live out our faith according to the truth of the Word of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, let me ask you. I want you to think about this. Do you ever get mad at lost people for doing lost people things? Do you? We all do, don't we? We're all still growing. We all still need grace. And sometimes I get sick of the things I see going around me on a day-to-day basis. I do. Sometimes, most times, I even get sick of myself when I choose to operate in that old nature instead of the new nature. Amen? Amen? And I've really come to find out that most of the time, my worst enemy is me. It's the old man creeping back up into what God has now made new. It's the old nature warring against the new nature in that constant tug of war inside of every believer. See, we were born in Adam, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, and with the nature of Adam came the nature of sin. It's what the Bible calls the fleshly nature. But when we were born again in Christ, we received a new nature by the person of the Holy Spirit, and now those two are at war with one another. But now listen, we've got to remember We really shouldn't get mad at sinners for doing sinful things because guess what? All a sinner can do is do what a sinner does. Why? They lack the freedom to be what God wants them to be. Why? Because they've not yet received the Spirit. Praise the Lord. It is with the power of the Spirit that we are enabled to then go out and be what we ought to be, not just what we used to want to be (laughs) or do or say. It is through the power of the Spirit we receive the liberty to actually live out the life God has called us to live. When we're talking about Christian liberty, we're not talking about the freedom to sin. We're talking about freedom from sin. Where God makes a radical transformation on the inside that, praise God, shows up on the outside. And this is a continual process that the believer goes through daily. That's why the Apostle Paul said, we've got to die to the flesh so that we might what? Walk in the Spirit. And that is a conscious choice that we are continually making. 
It is the Spirit that gives us the liberty to be what God wants. Are you getting me? So don't get mad at the sinner for doing sinful things. Pray that God gives you opportunity to share truth that changes hearts and lives. Pray that God gives us opportunity to show and share the love of Jesus. Pray that God opens the door and begins convicting that person's heart to the point where they realize they need Jesus. That's what we got to do. Because it's the Spirit that changes things. Amen? That truly changes things and brings freedom into a person's life to be what they ought to be. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll give you two main points this morning and I'm going to be done. Look what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and the 18th verse. We've already read verse 17. But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Even as by, watch this now, the Spirit of the Lord. So <clears throat> the first point I want to give you is the purpose of the Spirit. The purpose of the Spirit. Now, what is the purpose of God the Holy Spirit as He works in the life of every believer? Is the purpose of God the Holy Spirit to make you uh, shout and hoop and holler and, and, and raise your hands and, and do all that stuff? Now, let me tell you something. Now, you don't, please don't misunderstand me. I want you to be free in your worship. I grew up in a church where, listen, there was no raisins of hands. There was no shouting much that went on. And if you did raise your hand, you better have a question. Amen? <laughs> That's the kind of church I grew up in. And so I understand where people come from with some of that stuff, being a little bit leery, leery of what God is doing. Let me tell you something. In worship, you can be free because when the Spirit moves, there is liberty. There is liberty. He said, brothers, you start preaching stuff like that, you have people hanging off the chandelier. Let me tell you something. We are a long way away from that. <laughs> long way away from that. Enjoy the time spent with the people of God as we come together and worship Jesus. If you want to raise your hands and bring praise, honor, and glory to the Lord in doing so, do you know that's biblical? The apostle Paul said, I would that men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. You want to shout praises unto the Lord? Praise God, do it, for He is worthy of hallelujah, like we've already sang. All of that is good. Praise Jesus for the liberty we have in Christ. But I want to tell you something. There's more to it than praising hands and shouting in a church service. Listen, the real work of the Spirit happens when we leave this place and we go out into a lost and dying world, when we go to our homes as husbands and fathers and mothers and children. And listen, we're out there doing the work that God has commissioned us to do by His power. That's when the difference is made. Amen? Dr. Adrian Rogers said it like this. He said... God didn't give you that steam to sit around and toot your whistle. There ain't nothing wrong with tooting your whistle. He gave you that steam to get on down the track. There's work to be done. And that work is done by power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? <laughs> now listen, His purpose, just like it says here, is to turn us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? 
But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image, watch this now, from glory to glory. He says it's like we're beholding the face of Jesus in a mirror. And then we are to be changed by the power of the Spirit from glory to glory so that we begin to look like that image. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. In Malachi chapter number 3, there's, a, a, there's a, a verse there that talks about God being like a refining fire, a refiner's fire for his people. Let me tell you what that means. I've done some study on what it means and how a refiner uh, of silver or gold would actually use that fire to create what he's trying to create. And so what they would do, they would put a chunk of silver or a chunk of gold down into what's called a crucible, and they would take that crucible and set it on a fire, and they'd stoke that fire and feed that fire until that silver or that gold that's in the crucible began to melt down. And as it became a liquid substance, that refiner would sit there with what's called a dross. It was actually like a ladle or a sifter that he would sweep over the top of that silver as it's bubbling, or that gold as it's bubbling. And what he was doing, he would clear off all the impurities. Anything that was in that silver that wasn't supposed to be there, as the heat got to it, amen, as the heat got to it, it would bubble up to the top. And when it bubbled up to the top, he'd clean it off and he'd dump it. And he'd clean it off and he'd dump it. And he'd add a little more wood to the fire and he'd clean it off and he'd dump it. And that began to bubble and, and, uh, and uh, listen, uh, become cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. Let me tell you what happened. Whenever that refiner could look over into that crucible and see his own reflection, he knew that silver or gold was ready to be worked. And he could take that and make what he wanted to make do what he needed to do with that silver or gold. What is God doing in my life as a believer and in your life as a believer? Sometimes he'll allow some heat to get in your life. It comes in ways of trials and tribulations and troubles. And I wish you didn't have to go through it. And sometimes I wish I didn't have to go through it. But it's so important that we go through it. Because when we go through it, like, guess what happens? That which God is not pleased with in our life begins to bubble to the top so we can see it, so he can see it, and so that, listen, we can confess it and he can clean it up. And the more he cleans us up, he begins to see his face, his image in his people. And then he says, now I can use him. He's no longer like the old man. Now he's like me. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is the purpose of the Spirit, to change us from image to image, to the image of Christ, from glory to glory. Amen? Now, how does the Spirit do this? The Bible says, we behold as in a glass. We're supposed to have a looking glass to see what we look like. What is the looking glass that God has given to each and every one of us? Keep your place there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And brother, if you will, please put on the screen for me James chapter number 1. James chapter 1 and verse number 22. 
How, look how James puts it. He explains it perfectly by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. James 1, verse number 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Verse 23 says, But for if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in what? See, James is talking about the same thing that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about looking into the looking glass to see what you look like. Look at verse 24. He says then, for he beholds himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So what's the Bible teaching us? The Bible is teaching us that the, 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 the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to take the word of God, which is our looking glass. And as we look into it, we see who we are. We see who Jesus is. And listen, then God begins to take his word. And listen, by his power, we apply that to our life so that we can then live out our faith and we do what we ought to do according to the standard of the precious, powerful Word of God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God, we are changed from glory to glory. The book of Isaiah says, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, we grow to become what God wants us to be. Amen? This is the purpose and work of God, the Holy Spirit. Now James warns us, he says, look, You've got to just not be a hearer of the word, but you've got to be a doer of it. Because if you're not a doer of it, you're like the man who looks at his face in the glass, but changes nothing. I never understood the difference in how men and women look into a mirror until I had children of my own. It's completely different. I've now got daughters. One is 12. One is 19. They love mirrors. They look at mirrors all the time, not just one mirror. They've got five, six, seven mirrors that they're always looking at. My daughter Anna Kate had me put up a full-length mirror in her bedroom so that she could look at herself full-length. So what she would do, she'd get up in the morning, she would go to the bathroom, take a shower, get out, what'd she do? Look in the mirror. That's mirror number one. She'd dry off, go to her bedroom, put on her clothes, stand in the full-length mirror. That's mirror number two. She would sit down at what's called a vanity where she would have all her makeup. And she had a fancy mirror on this one, one with a light on it. That's mirror number three. And she'd spend time in mirror number three there for a little while, fixing what needed to be fixed. Then she would leave mirror number three and get in her car, I've seen her do it, and drive with her knees. She learned this from her mother. <laughs> she, she would drive with her knees while putting lipstick on in the rearview mirror. That's mirror number four. But she ain't done. Then in her purse, she's got a little bitty mirror about this big around that she'll pull out, flip it open. It's got a bunch of stuff in there, some, a, a little sponge and powder, and she'll use that mirror, and she'll mess with that a little while. That's not counting all the other mirrors she's looking at. That's just the one she's dedicated to. <laughs> now, then I've got a son, Gage. On Fridays, I try to take him to school because I'm off on Fridays. And so every Friday morning, never fails. 
I'll say, Gage, I'm going on out to the car. Come on out when you're ready. I'll get in the car. He comes and sits down in the car, and I can tell this boy has not brushed his hair. <laughs> Looks like a rat's nest on top. I mean, he's took a shower. He ain't brushed that noggin. I said, dude, you've got to brush your hair. Why are you not brushing? I said, did you even look in the mirror before you left? No, Dad, I just run my fingers through it. I could tell. <laughs> they look at mirrors differently. A lot of believers look at mirrors differently. There are some believers that are like my daughter. They'll take the word of God and they'll pour into it. They'll, they'll study it. They'll see what it says to them. And then they, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will relinquish their will to God's will and say, God, make me what you want me to be. Help me to do unto others as I'd have them do unto me. Help me to love you and love my neighbor. Lord, would you please help me to raise my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Father, would you please help me to fulfill the great commission because I see you've told me to do that. Help me to love the brethren like you love the brethren. Help me to do all this, God, because I see it as truth and I want this applied to my life. And listen, as we do that, God begins changing us into his image. Are you getting me? But then there are other believers who come into a service like this and they've heard the word and they say, you know what? I fulfilled my obligation in serving the Lord for the week. Now, even though I am, I do feel obligated to serve Jesus because of all he's done for me. Your service to the Lord has to be more than just an obligation. It's a joy. You get to do life with Jesus. You get to be a part of what he's doing. But a lot of people don't see it that way. Serving the Lord is not something they get to do, but something they have to do. It's not a burden, it's a blessing. Are you getting me? And they'll come into a service like this, and they'll hear the word, and they leave out of this place, and they never apply the word. They don't become doers of it. And what they've done, they've looked into the truth, they've looked into that glass, and they ain't changed nothing. And then you wonder why you're not walking in victory. You wonder why you're not being what God wants you to be. You wonder why things are absolutely falling down around your ears. I'll tell you why. Listen, you've got to be a doer. Get faithful. Take a hold of the truth of the Word of God. And say, God, help me. I can't do it, but you can. Live in me. Live through me. Work on me. Work in me. Work through me. Have your way and have your will. Lord, I need you. Help me to live out my faith. Amen? God will do that. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit becomes our comforter. The word comforter means our parakletos. Parakletos in the Greek means the one that comes alongside to help us. What we can't do in our power, God can do in his power. And he comes alongside to help us. But you have got to resist the devil. You have got to resist your fleshly, sinful nature. You've got to die to it and choose to walk in the Spirit. We must. That's the purpose of God the Holy Spirit. Let me give you one more, the power of God the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to keep you long on this one. Listen, sometimes we think that somehow God the Holy Spirit 
is less than God the Father and God the Son. Folks, listen to me. God the Holy Spirit is God. He is God. He is one with the Father and the Son. And now, Jesus dwells in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that we have now become the temple of God. It's in you that God dwells. Jesus, when he made the promise of the coming Holy Spirit, he said, he shall be with you and he shall be in you. I don't give you the spirit or peace like the world gives. I give you my peace because really he's saying, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to be in you. When the prince of peace is in you, you can have peace. Peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Listen, purpose that makes a difference in your life and others' lives. Do not forfeit that by continuing to walk in the flesh. Amen? Don't do it. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power of God in you to accomplish His purpose. Amen? <laughs> We know when God got all this started, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe it, say amen. I do too. The Bible then says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our own image. Here you have God, singular, being referred to in the plural. What does he mean? He means that we have one God, listen to me now, who reveals himself to us in three distinct personalities. We call it the Holy Trinity. We know God the Father was there at creation. We know God the Spirit was there at creation. For the Bible says, Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the waters. Amen. The Spirit is there. God the Father is there. And then the Bible says in John 1, chapter number 1, God the Son was there. Amen? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by Him. The Word being referred to there is the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three of them got this thing started, and all three of them keeps this thing going. Let me give you, give you a great verse. Colossians chapter number one, starting in verse number 15. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Watch what this says. Who is the image of invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? He's talking about Jesus there. There's that word image again. For by him or by Jesus were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him, by who? And for him. Who's the him? See, what's the Bible saying? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who got this thing started and they're still keeping this thing going. It's all going according to His plan for He's still on the throne. He holds the preeminence. Verse number 17. And He is before all things and by Him all things consist. Verse 18, watch, it's so good. And He is the head of the body of the church who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in all things 
he might have the chief place. <laughs> That's what preeminence means. Are you seeing it? Jesus in you. Christ in you. Our hope of glory. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Freedom to be what God has created you to be. Everybody stand together this morning. told you last week whenever you get saved there's a lot of amazing things that happen going along with today's message one amazing thing that happens the Bible says you are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit 1 Corinthians 12 12 tells us that it is by one spirit we are all baptized or put into one body 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that not only we are baptized by the Spirit, but we are indwelled by the Spirit. He now lives in us. Let me ask you a question. Do you know beyond the shadow of any doubt that there's been a time in your life when the Lord has made himself real to you? I mean, he convicted your heart. He, there, were, there was a drawing in your heart. In your heart. I had an old pastor who used to tell me, he used to say this all the time, I love it. He, he said, it's, it's like a tugging at your, at your heart. That's the best way I know how to explain that. Has there been a time when God was tugging at your heart and you began to see your need for a Savior? Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and been born again? Do you know that God now dwells in you? Is he your comforter, God? Do you have the peace that passes all understanding? If not, you can. But that happens by supernatural work of the Spirit. Salvation is not about what you understand with your head. That's part of it. But it's more about what's been done in your heart. The Bible says when a man is born again, God takes that, that old stony heart and He gives you a new heart. I've, I've, I've experienced that. I know what that was like when God did it for me. Has he done it for you? If not, he can today. Quit playing games, man. Get serious with the Lord and he'll get serious with you. If you need to be saved today, won't you come? God is able. If you are saved... Are you applying God's truth by His power to your life? Are you? Are you relinquishing your will to His? Are you choosing to be faithful and disciplined in serving the Lord? If not, what are you waiting on? Jesus saved you for purpose. And that purpose is for us to become like Him Maybe he's been taking that dross in your life, turning up the heat and 
removing those impurities. And that can be very unpleasant, but it's worth it. David Jeremiah said he believed God can never truly use a man until he breaks a man. <laughs> That's scary, but true. Amen? Oh, God loves you today. What do you need for him in this invitation? It's yours. It's your invitation. I'd love to pray with you in any way. If you need to be saved, I sure won't pray with you. Not that I can save you, but Jesus can. I want to show you how in the word of God. Won't you come this morning, brother?